we are in a series called How We Fight, and it's a response to the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Because at times we Christians can feel, we just, just sometimes, you know, we feel that separation from our world around us a little bit. You know, you can feel like outcasts at times. And we sometimes feel anxiety as we watch the world say, we're not going to do, do it God's way. We've worked out our own way. We're going to go this way. We think that's best. And it, and, it, and it concerns us a lot. And so we look to scripture for the examples of how to respond because there's plenty of them. Jesus and the New Testament Christ, Christians show us really well how to respond. And what we're discovering is that the ways of Jesus run countercultural to our, our or run counter to our normal human response when things aren't as we think they should be or that we like. It's different. You know, Jesus flips the script on these things. We discover that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but rather against unseen powers. Remember, we read that from Ephesians. But the, the main verse that I've been leaning into each week is from Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.3. He says, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We have to think differently. We have to look to the example of Jesus. As tempting as it is to be offended, you know, to fight fire with fire, these culture wars that seem to be going on around us, we've learned, we fight in an unconventional way that's, that's not natural to human behavior. We've looked firstly at how prayer is, is the power. It's where we start if we want to actually see difference for the kingdom is we have to pray together. This is what the church does. That was week one. Then we moved into Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And that was the basis for three of our messages, actually. This is what Christians do. This is how we fight. We do good to overcome evil. It's in the Bible. It means it's, it's God's word. And so over those three sermons, we looked extensively at how sacrificial love is the foundation for how we live and for how we fight. Love for each other, love for our neighbours. Remember Jesus said, even love for those who have hurt you. Enemies, he uses that word, you know, on the scale of your, your, the person you love the most and an enemy, everyone in between and the, uh, is loved, right? Everyone. And it's hard and we talked about that and it's only through the, the infilling of God's spirit that we find a way to, to actually love people who have hurt us and do good to them. Pray for them, Jesus said. Flip the script upside down, different to what the world says. But most significantly, we looked at God's sacrificial love for us first and the depth of how he, much he loves us as the basis for how we love others. It's only when we receive, and, and receive his love that it can flow back to others. It can't just be something in the text. It can't just be a head knowledge it's a real relationship, sacrificial love. Our commitment to remaining in the love of Jesus, uh, you know, this is what we talked about last week, staying there. Remember, Jesus said in, in John 14, remain in my love. That was last week's message. Remain, stay there, wait there, abide there. That's actually how we fight. Because it's out of that place of living and practicing the presence of Jesus that we find a real transformation that happens. That's when God changes us and that flows out into those around us as well. Being more like Jesus. That's how we fight. That's where real change comes. That's where the light shines into a dark world. Now, church, 
I'm not one that tends to want to make grand statements. It seems my staff disagree with me. I thought I was one that didn't like to make grand statements. I'm, I'm cautious about the prophetic, for example, but definitely not close to it. You know, I'm careful around emotionalism, but I know we're made to be emotional beings, and so emotions are part of how we love God. I don't blindly jump into the latest movement in the Christian world without cautiously seeing the fruit. So I don't say this lightly, but I'm sensing and seeing that God is moving. Is anyone else? Perhaps not revival yet. I've talked a lot about Pastor Mark Sayers from Red Church in Melbourne. He's been saying for over a decade now, church, prepare for renewal. Because when the world starts to go hard against God, hunger starts to build emptiness and a longing for something real happens. When the church runs out of new programs and gimmicks and when we realize the emptiness of doing things in our own strength, we have nothing left but God. When we repent, renewal in the church begins. And the thing is, I'm talking to a lot of pastors at the moment who are agreeing with this. There's something new happening. There's a slow return happening. We're starting to see a small but exciting change. People who once knew Jesus and had left him are starting to come back. It's a trickle at the moment. But we're starting to see an increasing hunger. And I've noticed it here with some of you who have joined us recently, perhaps reconnecting with the Lord and the church. I've noticed over the last few months just moments in a normal service where nothing special has been preached, but there's been a presence, I believe, of God that was more obvious. And people, you know, including in our prayer meetings, people not in a hurry just to leave as soon as we hit that end time, but want to stay and just linger with God. I've noticed that there's an increasing desire to pray. I think God is moving, and I don't know what he will do next. I'm not going to prophesy anything today, but I just wonder if there's a renewal beginning, and we're, we're in on that too. This is not just in this country. We're hearing stories of renewal happening around the world. And I'm not just talking about America. I'm talking around the world. The stories are coming in. And I say this to encourage us. If you watch and read the media, it's depressing. If you stop and see what God is doing, though, there's hope everywhere. God's working, and we need to be in that space with him, in his space where he's working, not fighting as humans do, but being with him. Which brings me today to today's topic of how we fight. It's right here in one of our banners. Because Jesus gives us a mandate to make disciples. And one of the ways that we, all of us here today, go about this is by planting seeds. Planting seeds of the good news of Jesus. The good news is that his grace saves and transforms lives and it's for everyone who will receive it. You know, we are in that stream of Christianity that God died, Jesus died for everybody. Whosoever. 
the good news is that God is for us and our flourishing. Not just when we get to heaven, but to have a life with him now. That's the good news that most of us here today have received and believe in. And Jesus says, please spread that around. Please spread that around. We overcome evil by doing good, yes, and we've talked about that extensively, but one of the best ways that we're going to overcome evil in this world, the best way for us to fight for the kingdom is to introduce people to Jesus, disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. That's a good way to fight for the kingdom. That's a good way to fight against what we're experiencing around us right now. We as a church see this as part of our mission. It's one of the key reasons we, that church exists. We make disciples by embracing people and planting seeds, and we do it to glory, for God's glory. These banners work in reverse, back and forth. They go both directions, right? We're here mostly, firstly, firstly for God's glory because he is God. We're here to bring glory to him. But he told us, love people, embrace them. He told us that plant seeds of the, what I've done for people, the good news, the gospel. And he told us you should make disciples and teach them to obey. And when we go back the other way, we're embracing people. We're making disciples as we embrace people. And we do it to bring glory to God. It works both directions. And if you wonder why I say plant seeds, it's because Jesus and Paul use that terminology all the way through the New Testament to help us understand what it looks like. It's, it's a really good illustration. Here's an example from Jesus in Mark 4, uh, starting at verse 26. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. In a sense, we're all crop farmers here. If you're a follower of Jesus, seed planters. Collectively, we do it as a church. We have ministries that embrace people and love people, but that they plant, and they plant seeds and make disciples. We have those ministries, but we actually have this job individually as well. Planting seeds, planting seeds, planting seeds. Seeds of the gospel into the hearts of others. And if you're familiar with the parable of the sower, which is a different one to what we just talked about, you'll know that Jesus talks about the seed falling on different types of soil. Does everyone know that, that parable? I'm not going to read it today, but there's four different types of soil Jesus talks about. And there's a different response to how, when that seed is planted, depending on the soil type. In other words, those seeds we plant will sometimes bear fruit, but often they won't. And that's okay. Jesus tells it like it is. People walked away from his ministry too. If they walk away from Jesus himself in the flesh, then it's going to happen to us. But the point is, the seeds in the good soil won't happen if we're not doing the planting. We have that job, to plant seeds, liberally. There's a Christian crop farmer from Canada, a fellow on, on YouTube. He and his brothers have a massive farm. Planting seedsing is amazing to watch. They have six 
seeding drills. If you know, you know what they are, they're these big devices. They pull behind tractors and they, they, they drill basically into the ground and plant seeds in there. They have six of them 82 feet wide each. So you can imagine the scale of this farm. It takes over a month to cover all of their, their land. It's a massive operation. And what's interesting is that the seeding operation is very scientific. Jesus often calls, talks about scattering, which is a way to do it. These guys drill. They are very particular. Firstly, those drills and tractors take significant maintenance and investment. They spend millions of dollars making sure their equipment provides the best results. Before they even put a seed in the ground, they work hard to ensure it's done well. Second, they test the soil and they adjust the fertilizer and they put down uh, what, what they need for that particular soil and seed type. Make sure they have the correct amounts. Third, they, rate, they rotate crops every single year. They don't usually put the same crop year after year after year. It's not best practice to put the same crops on the same land each season because each crop takes different nutrients from the soil and leaves different types of organic matter behind. Sometimes they just leave a, they leave a section for a year even to let it recover. Fourth, they treat the seed before they plant it to protect it from different types of diseases that tends to attack it. And lastly, they plant the seed, understanding that the biggest variable is out of their hands, and that's rain, the water. Most farmers plant and hope for rain, for the seeds they've planted. They do all they can that's within their control, and they accept the outcome. If the crop fails, they go again the following season with the same effort and the same enthusiasm. And one thing I've learned from watching these farmers is that they love what they do even when the harvest is a bust. They keep going. They believe in what they do. They don't give up. They always believe the next harvest is going to be the bumper one. And sometimes it is. And the illustration is good for us because we're the farmers of the kingdom. We put effort into how we plant seeds of the gospel. We work hard to understand the soil in our community. We prepare the machinery. We prepare the seed. We invest. We make sure we understand the soil types. We add fertilizer when, when needed. We keep the weeds at bay as much as we can. And each of you today here are here because someone at some point planted a seed in your life. And for most of you, that seed sprouted and grew. What if that, person, what if that hadn't happened? We wouldn't be here today. For me, it was when I was about 10. It was at the very first family camp or church camp that this church ran back in 1980-something. And it was at Mount Me. And because I, I did a bit of thinking once about when I first committed to Jesus, because I know I did that every year at high school camp and all that sort of stuff. But there was a first time, right, when someone planted the seed and I said, yes, that, that couple who were there, they were looking after the kids. They told me Jesus gave his life for me. He wanted to forgive my sins. He wanted me to be with him and follow him. I'd have a life and relationship with him as my Lord and that I have eternal life with him. Pretty, seems basic to us because we've heard it a thousand times. But as a 10-year-old, I thought, I want that. I want, I want him. Something clicked inside of me. I raised my hand. I said, yes. I didn't tell anyone at the, t at the time. But I've never gone back. I've had dry years. I've had seasons of doubt and temptation. It's often the case that when in your, you're in your late teen years and early young adult years that you kind of reevaluate your understanding and your beliefs. But I made it through all that with Jesus in my life still intact. That was pretty good. I've had seasons of pain and struggle in my life, but Jesus has always been faithful to me. 
And I still remember that 10-year-old committing and saying, I'm going to be faithful to him, and so that's the way I'm going to go, and that's the way I've gone. And I don't know who those kids' leaders were 39 years ago, but they planted that seed, and the seed sprouted. I think the soil must have been okay. Late last year, 15 kids made the same response in our kids' church. Whatever you do, church, don't discount kids saying yes to Jesus. Because that was, I reckon that was a lot of you today uh, sitting here. That was me as well. Don't discount that. It's no less than an adult committing to Jesus. The kids often have better faith than we do. We sometimes get the connections cards, the kids write on the back. They're, the, they're some of the best prayer points or praise points that you've ever read. They are simple and filled with faith, aren't they, guys? Jesus says the faith of a child is actually our example. So we look to them. Parents, we have a high responsibility to make sure the soil is prepared well for when that seed is planted. I know it's the choice of our kids. We don't force anything or manipulate anything. But the example you said is the best way to prepare that soil. Most of you have responded to one or more seeds planted in your own life. Think about that. Think about it this week even. When were those seeds planted in my life and how did I respond? You should share it with someone. It's actually a really good exercise to, to, to do. Perhaps you can't recall that first seed planting moment. You know, for some, it's, there's lots of seeds and eventually one sprouted, but it's hard to kind of pin it down. That's okay too. It doesn't matter. But the point is, someone went out of their way to plant those seeds in your life. And so I'm just making the point today, we have to follow that same uh, gift that we received, that same example that we received. We've got to pay that on, pass that on. I've talked through how we as a church are planting seeds through our ministries in other sermons in this neighborhood, and it's, it's a somewhat of a different sermon. And today I'm just saying individually, we all can be planting seeds throughout our daily lives. In fact, Jesus asks us to do it. It was the last thing he said before he ascended. It must have been important if that's what he wanted us to think about when he said, go and make disciples, baptize people, and teach them to obey. I want to assure you of something. This command is not as scary as we think it is. You've heard a lot of sermons on it over the years. Uh-oh, he's talking about an evangelism sermon. I'm not good at that. I hope other people here are so they can take care of it for me. And in a way, that's a little bit true because there's a thing called a gift of evangelism that some people have. These are the ones that I was going to say, these are the ones that uh, they're exciting to listen to, right? They sit on someone on, the, on a plane or a bus and they just start talking about Jesus and then they come and tell us. You know, I was on the way to New Zealand and I told someone about Jesus and they're going to go to church this week or something. Like that's, and I go, oh, that's so good. They, they, they have a gift. Most of us, we may lack a similar kind of gift and yet we have a role to play. And that's why I use that, that terminology in our mission, plant seeds, because we all can do that. Yes, sometimes it's just in our acts of love. That's planting seeds. You know, we've, been, we've been talking about that. Remember, we were talking about Matthew 25. Jesus said, what about the least? That's how I identify my followers. 
caring for the least in our world is planting seeds. That's part of it. But sometimes we have to use words. We have that role. I'm talking about all the people that you encounter on your daily life as being people God has given you an opportunity to plant seeds of the gospel in. It's your circle of influence. Hopefully you're the kind of person, though, that can bring influence because they know, people know that you love them and they trust you. That is the first step, which I haven't put in my sermon today, but it reminds me. <laughs> you know, people in your circle of influence, you will have an influence if, if you're filled with God's love and it flows out of you. But we're responsible for them. I'm going to break it down quickly into what seed planting can look like for each of us. This is achievable for every single person here today, not just those with the gift of evangelism. Everyone. So here, here we go. Number one, some of you have heard this before. It's okay to hear it again, by the way. So don't go to sleep. Keep listening. It's for us today. First thing is pray for an opportunity. That's number one. Look, if, if you forget anything else about today's sermon, and no doubt you'll, you'll forget most of it, please remember this. Please remember this one, because I sincerely believe that praying for an opportunity is the most important bit. It's like um, God's saying, I'll do the hardest part for you. Anybody want that? I guarantee you, if you sincerely pray for opportunities to plant seeds of the gospel, he will give you them. The greatest apostle in the New Testament was Paul. And, you know, he started churches everywhere. Yeah, he had the gift of evangelism. I get it. But here's what he said uh, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, the, in, in the book of Colossians, in uh, 4.3. He said, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. So he was asking for people to pray for him for opportunities. I thought... I remember reading that for the first, well, probably not the first time. It was probably about the 10th time I read it that it finally sank in. And I realized this is a prayer I want to pray. Because God takes the hardest part off me and brings me an opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. I'd like to do that. This for me is the number one key for planting seeds. And, and I, if we want to be intentional about it, that is. And I also think it's the number one reason why we're so bad at it, because I don't think we pray. I actually think we can pray our way into opportunities to plant seeds of the good news of Jesus. The second point's pretty obvious. Look for that opportunity that you've just prayed for, because that's the thing. We can pray and then completely forget we've prayed it, and God's trying to bring it, but we're not looking. So go into, you've got to go into your day after you've prayed, looking. Look for the opportunity. If you diligently and earnestly pray, then expect the opportunities to come. And if you don't expect them, you won't see them. If we're not looking, we won't see them. Sometimes it's in a, a person's relationship that, you know, they're seeking more in life. Those conversations happen all the time, by the way. You know, they're experiencing something and you're part of their conversation. The opportunity has arrived. Sometimes it's a realisation that a friend is in a bad place. They're looking for some way, the, the wrong things to help themselves. And there's an opportunity that arrives. Sometimes it's, hopefully it's because people are seeing something us in, the, in, ask, in us and they're asking us about it. And you can give some hope. Opportunities. Sometimes it could be you taking a little initiative and just, if someone says, what did you do for the weekend? 
and you're all sitting here, <laughs> and it could open a door, a conversation about faith. It doesn't mean you get the Roman road out of your back pocket and work your way through a tract or anything like that. How about I go to church on Sundays because I've just I've found that God is real and has made a huge difference in my life. And then you can ask back, well, what about you? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? And let them talk. Let them talk. Look out for those opportunities. Number three, when that opportunity comes, take it boldly but wisely. I guess I was just touching on that a little bit because everyone is going to receive the seeds of the gospel differently. And Paul really understood this really well. And he explained his approach to to the Corinthians. Here's what he said in uh, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. He said, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. What an interesting way to think about it. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the laws of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Wisely, you know? What do you say in another place? Kind of like shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves, I think it was. Birds, I don't know. But we know what he's saying is that everyone's going to receive the words of Christ differently in different situations. And you need to be thinking about that person and where we are, what the soil is like at that point. We, we do. Sorry, I don't mean to put this all on you. It's me too. We need to be thinking like that wisely, particularly in our culture right now. It's different to back in the, in the 60s and 70s with Billy Graham crusades and stuff like that. Oh, awesome stuff, by the way. It's somewhat different now. The starting point's very different for us. We have to think like that. We have to think about the culture we're in, what's acceptable and what's not, and how we're going to approach that and understand that. We need to think about um, the pain and the hurt that people may have been through. We're not just going to dive straight in. We're going to get to know and love people first. We need to think wisely. Someone who has a church or faith background will usually receive the truth in Scripture better than someone who has never been involved with the church. You quote Scripture to some, some people these days and it does, it's irrelevant. Irrelevant to them. So we have to start with other things that open the doors. And I'm not saying disc- I'm not discounting Scripture. Don't, please don't come and hit me up later and say, you know, Pastor, you're saying that the Word of God is not living. And of course it is. I'm just saying that people have to actually start at a different point these days and the Scriptures will be living and active to them if we approach it properly. But telling them your own personal testimony of God in your life, I think that holds weight. And that's what I want you to think about. I have these... I go down to a barber shop in, in Albany Creek and there's um, some ladies in there that cut my hair and um, they got onto the fact that I was a pastor 
And uh, sometimes it, that's, that's frustrating because it stops people talking, to be honest. But other times it opens doors for me. And I walked in there recently and they, she's, the lady who owns the business said, we've been waiting for you to come in. And I went, oh, <laughs> I hope that's all right. And she said, no, 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 we've been talking. Because she's Irish, Catholic background. And she said, do you believe in Mary? And I said, yeah. <laughs> but I knew what she meant. <laughs> I knew what she meant. And so it gave me an opportunity to talk a little bit about what I, like, Mary's awesome, love her. But talked about um, Jesus. Hasn't got any further than that yet, but I'm praying for more opportunities. It can be awkward when there's people lined up waiting and all that sort of stuff, but that's just a little example that pops into my mind. What if we as a church, you know, where every single adult, young adult, teenager, and children took the responsibility to plant seeds like real serious? I think it would be one of the most exciting things that we could do. What if we prayed for those opportunities every day at the beginning of our day and then every week when we gather together? What if we did that? What if we shared our testimonies of success and disappointment? You know, I tried this at the barber and such and such happened, you know, but we shared together and we encourage each other and we spur each other on. That would be good. We do this because we have the words of life. We have the message of salvation. And Jesus said, please go. And he was talking to all of us. A few years ago, Miriam Woodrow told me an amazing story of seed planting. And I love this story. I've checked with her, by the way. So Miriam's aware I'm sharing this. But she received a text message. It was out of the blue in 2018 from a friend who was in year 12 with her in 1981. Don't go do the maths, it's okay. But this is the exact text message that Miriam received. Hi Miriam, I guess you can say this message is out of the blue. But I've been thinking of you lately. There is a story about me I would like to tell you. One day in year 12 maths, I was sitting next to Alison and you were in the, aisle, the next aisle. I was busy doing my work. I got stuck and I raised my hand for the teacher to come around. And while I was waiting, I was listening to a conversation you and Alison were having about being born again. I had never heard of that. And later I did ask Alison what that was and she explained and I immediately decided I want to do that. Of course, that would be the moment I was saved, but I went to church that Sunday and I committed there as well. My two brothers came the following week. They were saved. One went on to marry the pastor's daughter. Our kids are mostly in the church now, and one of my grandkids is a youth pastor. So thanks for having the conversation with Alison. It changed more lives than you will ever know. Isn't that amazing? Miriam, you planted a seed and you didn't even know it. And it changed generations of people, and it will filter on for generations to come. From one conversation had out in the open, God can do anything, especially when we open our mouths and talk about him. 
If you want to push back against evil, you can get on your keyboard and fight if you want. On all of the comment sections and the, in Facebook and news.com or whatever it is you'll look at, I don't know. You can do that if you want to fight that way. I don't think it's going to get you anywhere. You can get upset. You can join the culture wars. I've talked about this. We have a voice in our culture, okay? Don't hear me wrong on that. But if you want to fight, this is, this is how we fight. This, you, want to, you want to push back against evil in the world? This is how we do it. If you want to stick it to Satan, just plant some seeds of the gospel. We plant seeds on our way to making fully committed disciples of Jesus. And that's one of the things that we want to do here. From today on, I'm going to ask small group leaders, if you're here today, if you're watching online, use the time in prayer in your small groups. Every time you meet, every fortnight or whatever it is that you meet, um, pray for opportunities for everyone there in your small groups. And invite testimonies when you get together the following time. Hey, did anything happen to anyone? Did anyone get an opportunity? Did you miss it? Did you take it? Did it go well? Did it go bad? It doesn't matter. Just share it. Like build some momentum around that and get excited. Each Sunday, the prayer team, they're here every Sunday. On your way out, you could say, I'm going to get a 30-second prayer for an opportunity this week. Every Wednesday night, we're going to include that prayer for opportunities for those, for those who come and, and maybe share some testimonies as well at our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. God is moving. God is moving, and I think this year is going to be a year of seed planting for us, a year of making disciples, perhaps even, as um, Jesus said right back at the beginning there, there's a harvest. It was in his word as the outcome of planting seeds, adding water, and harvesting. So we start today, and I'm going to pray that powerful prayer that Paul asked for, for you, for opportunities to plant seeds and lots of them, because some will fall on good soil. And we've done this before. And I want to invite the whole church to be part of this. I'm going to sing a really good song to close. And then I'm going to pop up again. And I'm going to get Mark and um, Kate and Adam. I haven't told you yet, Kate, sorry. But I'm going to get Mark and Kate and Adam across the front. We're going to pray just little 20 to 30 second prayers for each person. I want you lined up. That's the picture I've got in my head. (laughs) I don't make grandiose statements, but this is, what I, this is what I'm seeing this morning. And you're like, no, 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 I don't go to the altar. That's not me. Other people do that kind of stuff. I just want to pray the prayer that Paul asked the church to pray for him, that you will have opportunities this week, this month, and this year just to plant seeds. God will do the hard part and open the door for you. We can all do that. I want to pray that little prayer for you and we'll get through everyone here this morning and, um, and then I want you to go into the world and look for those opportunities. Does everyone know what I'm saying? If you need prayer for something else this morning, the prayer team's going to stand perhaps off on the sides a little bit as well. They'll pray for you if you've got a, a, something in, in your life that you really need specifically prayed for. They'll do that, but the pastors will just stay here and that's all we're going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, this week, bring Shelley, an opportunity to talk about the mysteries of Christ or to plant a seed or just to love someone in a way they haven't before. Amen.
and then you're going to receive it and walk out and, and look for it. Thank you.